Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Today I have another returning guest to my podcast and I am talking to the lovely Anne Richardson who is a registered nutritional therapy practitioner. Now Anne is actually returning for her third conversation to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Anne supports people in recovery from disordered eating and helps them to learn to eat again. Anne grew up in France in a culture where thinness was a normality In a previous episode on this podcast, she talks about her own recovery from anorexia nervosa in her teens, her thoughts on French women and slenderness, eating disorders in men, wellness culture, and the many myths around nutrition. So do check out that episode, which is linked in the show notes. And on her last conversation here, Anne talked about healthy week in schools and the problems with this around the messages we are passing on to our children, particularly around demonizing sugar. So do check out that episode two, lots of valuable content there. Now today, Anne is back and is going to be talking all about mindful eating and why it's not the most helpful approach in eating disorder recovery, particularly when recovering from anorexia nervosa. Anne has a unique approach to working using stories and metaphors in her practice to help communicate complex principles. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today and I know there'll be lots to take away for all of you. Let's get to the conversation. Are you wondering if your binge or emotional eating habits have triggered hormone and gut issues? Low energy, fatigue, bloating, brain fog, weight gain, more PMS, more menopause symptoms, more cravings, poor sleep, the list goes on. Did you know some of your hormone and gut symptoms can also fuel your emotional eating behaviors? Yes, they can. That's why it's so important to address the roots of your physical symptoms while working on the emotional mindset and self-love work. If you're ready to address each piece, be sure to check out Amber Omaniak, emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert with nine years of experience helping over 1,200 women with support on all of the above and without diets, without restriction or any quick fixes. Amber will do a full health assessment and help you get to the root of your symptoms with hormone testing, gut health assessing, and of course, support to help your body come back to balance with your mind and soul. Visit amberapproved.ca to book a 30-minute body freedom call or check out the No Sugar Coating podcast today to learn more about the connections between our relationship with food, mindset, and our health. Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for coming back on the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Hi, thanks for having me again. It's really lovely to invite me back. Oh, well, you know, just so lovely to have you. And I know that the last two episodes where you've been on, where you've talked about your story and where you've talked about Healthy Week in Schools, both of those episodes have been extremely popular and a lot of people have got so much value from them. So I was really keen to get you back because of, I know you have more to share today. 
Yeah, well, first of all, it's really lovely to hear that the feedback was great. And yeah, I always have things to share. And today I want to talk a bit about mindful eating and intuitive eating. We talked about it just before you pressed record, but that's kind of what the plan is, right? We're going to talk about that. Yeah, no, lovely. Because I guess, you know, we both know like mindful eating and intuitive eating can both be great kind of methods or tools to use in eating disorder recovery. But sometimes we need to kind of approach that with some caution or awareness. I know what you're going to really sort of be talking about today is just helping people really understand that and think about, you know, where they are on their journey and what they can implement and perhaps what they're not ready to be able to implement yet from those different <laughs> types of eating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, Anne, can you sort of define for us first, firstly, you know, what is mindful eating and what is intuitive eating? Could you sort of clarify the difference, please? Yeah, so I guess, first of all, what I wanted to say before I even do that, if you don't mind, I wanted to explain sort of the reason why I wanted to talk about this. And what I said to you off air before was that I wrote a post a couple of weeks ago about mindful eating, and I thought it was quite an innocuous post, to be honest. And suddenly it went a little bit mental. And in my post, I was talking about mindful eating, and you know, people were clearly interested in that. And lots of people commented, and in their comments, I realized that people were using mindful eating and intuitive eating, irrespectively, really, they were sort of interchanging them. And it's not at all a criticism, but I thought it was interesting because there is an overlap between them, but they're not the same thing. So that's why I thought when you contacted me, I thought we could talk about that because I think we need to clarify that a little bit. And so to me, well, first of all, intuitive eating is a thing, isn't it? It's like, I don't know exactly how you could describe it, but it's a recognized eating framework and I think it was created by Evelyn Triboli. I don't know if I pronounced her name correctly or Tribo, I don't know. But it has set principles. And as some people might recall it, in lockdown, we acted those principles on Instagram. And there were 10 of us acting those principles. And, you know, it's a said thing. It's a recognized framework of rejecting the diet mentality, honoring your hunger, making peace with food, challenging the food police, etc. There's actually 10 principles. It's very set. Whereas mindful eating is slightly different. Mindful eating is more about being present during the act of eating. It's paying attention to the smell, to the temperature, the texture, the taste of the food, the aftertaste. And I think nutritionists often say that to describe mindful eating, we often say to people that you sort of You need to be able to describe the food that you're eating to someone who's never come across that food. Imagine you're describing chocolates to an alien. You need to be able to do that. And that will require of you to be mindful, you pay attention to everything. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense. So it is a bit confusing sometimes, isn't it? Because I think obviously intuitive eating is these kind of 10 defined principles, but mindful eating is almost kind of going a layer deeper almost into the eating itself and then I was kind of thinking as well isn't there one intuitive eating principle which is about the pleasure and the satisfaction factor I was just thinking maybe like mindful eating would come into that a bit but obviously again it's not clear cut is it no no you're Mm. right and I think there are overlaps I think absolutely if you think of the principles I think making peace with food to an extent is part of Mm. mindful eating discovering your satisfaction factor is part of mindful eating feeling your fullness is part of this honoring your hunger is part of it 
technically, you know, all of that is part of mindful eating and intuitive eating at the same time. It's not really clear cut, but I think if I had to describe it in more sort of in a clear way, I would say that intuitive eating is broader than mindful eating. I think we can practice intuitive eating and eat mindlessly. I think I do that sometimes, to be honest. Mm. And we can also be mindful while being on a strict eating plan, which a lot of my clients are, and therefore they're not being intuitive. That makes sense. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So with mindful eating, with intuitive eating principles, obviously these are great ways of eating for someone who is, you know, got a fairly good relationship with food, whose body physiology is sort of, you know, in a reasonable place, I guess, where they're going to be able to sort of put some of these principles and actions into practice. But can you say a bit more about how in eating disorders and perhaps particularly anorexia nervosa when someone's weight restoring, how it may not always be the best route to follow either mindful eating or intuitive eating principles, at least initially? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is that pretty much everyone that comes to see me at the start, you know, we have the first session and, you know, say, you know, what do you want to get out of this session? And they say, well, I just, I want a better relationship with food and I want to be able to eat intuitively. And I'm absolutely sympathetic to that, but I usually try to manage their expectations because, you know, I tend to see people who have restricted their food intake or who are restricting their food intake. And more often than not, they are underweight, some make themselves sick or exercise compulsively and when you engage in such practices it's not realistic to be intuitive you can get there but you can't start there I think that's what I would say the first thing I would say about intuitive eating and the reason why you can't start there it's because your normal biological cues will be all messed up and therefore it's going to be really hard for you to read the messages correctly. And intuitive eating is about that. It's reading the messages that your body sends you. But if you've been restricting or making yourself sick, etc., those messages are going to be a bit sort of unclear. For example, when you start eating after a period of restriction, you get full really quickly, which is the consequences of something, the consequence of something called gastroparesis, which literally means powerless, paralyzed. Paralysis? Oh, sorry, I can't speak anymore. Paralysis, Sunday, of the gastrointestinal tract. Basically, your gastrointestinal tract doesn't really move. It's becoming sort of stasis, so stationary. <laughs> your digestion, therefore, becomes really slow. And it feels like you've eaten a brick after you've eaten like a banana. And you bloat, even though you're halfway through your meal. If you weren't being intuitive at that point, you'd stop eating. But guess what? That's the very last thing you need to do. You are experiencing this because you haven't eaten enough in the past. And so you precisely need to eat now, despite what your body is seemingly telling you, although it's not really telling you not to eat. It's been more complicated than that. So that's one thing I would say. But also eating when you're hungry is a really big principle of intu intuitive eating. When you have anorexia nervosa, often you're not hungry because your body's got used to eating very little and your body's got used to utilizing stores. So if I wait until my clients are hungry to feed them, they're not going to do very well. And that's why they need to follow a really rigid plan. And they are going to need to eat when they're full. And that's probably one of the hardest things people have to do. And people complain about that, you know, every day in my practice. I don't want to eat. I feel so full. Why am I bloated? 
And it's really, really hard. And if they had to eat intuitively, they would not recover for sure. Absolutely. Mm. No, it makes a lot of sense. So what do you do then, Anne, in terms of like, obviously, people are wanting to be more intuitive. They're wanting to listen to their hunger cues, etc. But as we explained very clearly, really, we can't trust our bodies, can we, when we're in those that early stage of kind of weight restoration? It's going to take time before we can listen tune in respond to our body again so what do you do instead like do people sort of follow like a structured meal plan is that kind of how you approach it instead of like doing the sort of intuitive eating or mindful eating yeah at the beginning we have a a very strict meal plan and they have to eat very often it's often every two three hours what i say to people is at the beginning you can never trust fullness literally never You can listen to hunger, however, you know, if let's say you're on like three meals and three snacks, but actually you feel peckish in between your snacks, I am not stopping you from eating more. I would say to people, the plan I'm giving you is the minimum you're supposed to be eating. If you want to eat more in between courses, absolutely fine. It's quite rare that people do, but it's an option because I don't want them to feel a bit hungry and to go, well, I can't do that because Anne told me that I needed to have a snack in like an hour, but it's not time for my snack. So I don't want to put people in that position. It can happen that towards the end, actually, they become more hungry, but it's more the end. So they're a bit more flexible and they go, you know, what? I had an extra snack because I was feeling hungry. And I go, yeah, this is good. But at the beginning, it's just a rigid meal plan. It sounds like as well, you have to really prepare your clients for this as well. Like kind of really like, make them anticipate that they're going to feel full and probably going to feel bloated, but almost kind of give them permission to keep eating and to stick to the plan despite those sort of symptoms that they're experiencing. Mm, Yeah. And we talk about it a lot and we talk about it and we talk about it again and we talk about it and it sounds crazy, but we have those discussions, those discussions over and over and over again, because it's really distressing to feel mm-hmm. so full and you know when you're feeling full like that your anorexia is having a field day the anorexia is going you know you've eaten too much you know she doesn't know what she's doing you're fat and um, stop eating you know and it's your head is going on overdrive so it's really important to keep having the discussion and for me to keep telling them that it's okay that it's actually very normal it's biologically normal and that people have gone through that and they have come out the other end and it's okay Mm. so really offering that kind of reassurance isn't it and just really giving people permission to keep going despite their Mm. uncomfortable symptoms yeah absolutely and how do you sort of support people like are there things that people can do if they are feeling really bloated and uncomfortable and like what kind of things do you recommend that people can do to help themselves feel a bit better well I said to people lycra is your your (laughs) best friend Or basically like really comfortable clothes. And at the moment, as we were talking about earlier, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but we're technically Mm. both in our pyjamas. And um, (laughs) (laughs) um, my pyjamas are really comfy and I'm not wearing them because I need to be comfortable, but it's just because I had a shower. It's a long story, but anyway. And my pyjamas are really comfortable and it can help people to basically wear those kinds of comfortable, not restricted clothes. I say to people, you know, the last thing you want to wear is a catsuit, you know, like a grease sort of like outfit, you know, when you're feeling bloated, because that's going to sort of make everything worse and reinforce the fact that you, you might feel, you know, bigger than you would like to be, that everything is tight. So you don't want to do that. 
Sometimes a hot water bottle can be really helpful. You know, you put a hot water bottle a bit like when you have your period on your stomach, it can help. And the biggest thing is time. Mm -hmm. Time will help. If you feel really full when you go to bed, chances are in the morning, it's not going to be quite as bad because you will digest. And the best thing to do, and I know it's really annoying when I say that, but the best thing to do is to carry on eating because we need to retrain the gut basically to do its job and the reason why it can't do its job is because it's become really weak and it's become really weak because it hasn't had enough food and nutrients so we need to retrain that muscle and so we need to eat yeah so kind of just keep on eating is the advice isn't it really even though it's obviously extremely challenging at the time Mm. and do you find that some of your clients struggle with sort of body checking and you know becoming just so much more aware of their body image even more so in recovery yeah yeah and especially after eating and it's a sort of form of elasticity or body dysmorphia that can happen you know if you are eating something that really really scares you you feel like the moment you eat it, it sort of, it deposits itself on your bum or, you know, on your stomach. They can actually look at themselves and see themselves grow. And so that can make them check their body even more, which is why I find that wearing really loose, comfortable clothes can help because you're not so, your attention isn't sort of so focused on bits that you don't like. But yes, body checking happens quite a lot. And it's tricky because sometimes we can do things like hiding in mirrors and stuff. But I see a lot of young people, you know, at uni in their dorms. And if they have a full length mirror that is attached to the wall, it's not that we can get rid of it. But, you know, we can talk about every single situation and sort of adapt as needed. But yeah, lots of body checking, lots of pinching and that kind of things. Yeah, no, it's so challenging, isn't it? Because I think, obviously, you know, the kind of work we do with our clients, we really want to sort of discourage them from body checking, for, you know, reducing that behaviour as much as possible. But it's very challenging not to engage in body checking when you're doing the weight restoration process, because probably already your body image is quite fragile. And I guess it intensifies that focus on the body, doesn't it, when our bodies are changing, albeit in a healthy way. Yeah, and one thing that is tricky in my work is that I need to monitor people's weight because I need to make sure they're not losing weight. And the tricky thing is to sort of make them understand that the reason why I'm monitoring their weight is to prevent them from becoming more ill and from losing weight. It's not that I'm actually worried that they are gaining too much weight. So on the one hand, they are... They like the weight monitoring because they just go, well, you know, at least well and I'm not becoming fat. So they're hoping the number isn't going to go up, whereas I'm hoping the number is going to go up. And so we need to have a really honest conversation about that because otherwise we're having basically two different objectives. And if we're both looking at a different objective, it's not particularly healthy. That makes a lot of sense. So Anne, we've talked about how hunger signals are often sort of dampened down, how people get full very quickly and how that could be a real barrier in recovery and why mindful eating and intuitive eating is not so helpful in those instances. I'm just wondering about your thoughts on when people experience that, what my clients sometimes will call that ferocious hunger, where 
they do start to eat again. Their body starts to get going again, I guess. The metabolism speeds up. Everything that's been so shut down starts to sort of come to life again. And I guess the really challenging thing sometimes as well is to deal with that almost just feeling hungry all the time. And that can kind of feel to people like they're binging. I'm just wondering, Mm -hmm. like, can you talk a bit about that and how you work with your clients to manage that intense hunger if they're experiencing it? Well, I explain to them that actually hunger is a good thing. Usually Mm -hmm. when you start being hungry in recovery, it means that your body has really started to heal. Your metabolism is working well was working better so hunger is a good sign and we usually do a little dance when people start to be hungry because it's really it's a milestone and yes it can feel really scary if you feel hungry all the time but I but depending on the client we might come up with different things but I often use little mantras and we could say things like my body is healing whenever they feel hungry, whenever they feel like they're eating more than they should. And I will also remind them that the plan is there only as a sort of guiding thread, but they can go off plan, they can eat more. We might sort of review their food if they're only eating salad. I mean, it's unlikely, but let's say if they're hungry and they're eating a rice cake, I'm just going to go, I'm going to be quite honest with them. And I'm just going to go, look, let's not faff around with rice cakes. You know, clearly your body needs more. So instead of having 10 rice cakes, which might freak you out because of the number, let's go for a nice, you know, two slices of nice sourdough and put some peanut butter on there. And, you know, we might see a difference. That's also my job. It's not just to sort of give them a plan. It's to look at what they're eating and the combination of food to see whether it's adequate. But often I find that when people are really, really hungry, it just means that they're not eating enough. And obviously, they're going to have this thought of I'm eating too much and I'm going to balloon out of control. And that's when the weight monitoring is useful because I go, you know, let's see, let's play a game. And my clients, if they're listening, will totally know what I'm talking about because we'll just go, okay, well, you're going to eat like this until next week. And then if next week you come back and you're like 10 kilos heavier, then we can change things. You know, let's see. And usually it doesn't happen. And I'm quite confident of that. So we go with that. And I think it's quite reassuring for them to see that they were able to eat as much as they needed to feel satisfied. And yet nothing crazy has happened. Yeah, it's quite reassuring, isn't it? And I like the way you frame it as an experiment almost, don't you? So, you know, you can't see how it goes for the next week. And I think it is often surprising, isn't it, how much one needs to eat in recovery. You know, it takes a lot of work, doesn't it? It takes a lot of eating to weight restore. Yeah, it's crazy. And I see a lot of young teenagers, just of like 13 plus. And I have noticed that with the younger people, it takes even more work. And also it depends on, you know, the stage in recovery they're at. If they were very underweight, we can be talking about like, four or five thousand calories a day and it's a lot of food it's a lot of effort to eat all those calories and that's also why people who say to me I want to eat intuitively but I love broccoli you know and I love salad and I just go you know what let's cut the crap here sorry if I'm not sure I was supposed to swear or anything but I was just going you know it's not going to work you know and is it really intuitive or is it your eating disorder telling you that you should be eating lots of broccoli I love broccoli, you know, but, you know, we're not going to make it with broccoli and rice cake. We are going to need to sort of challenge 
that thought a bit more because it's going to take forever otherwise. But yeah, there's a lot of food that needs to be eaten. Yeah, and I don't have any sort of a paper to sort of base my what I've just said. But my observation is that with the younger clients, they tend to need even more food. Mm. Well, it's really mean, helpful yeah. just to hear that and just for you to be saying that out loud. So I think something that I experience a lot as well working with people is that it is very scary, isn't it? Increasing what you're eating. I find a lot of people as well will do what I almost call like toe dipping, like they'll kind of dip their toe in the water with eating a bit more. But I love the way that you're just kind of really talking about just really kind of firmly and kindly kind of pushing people in a way, giving them that permission to eat enough and to eat a substantial amount because of with the toe dipping, like you said, it's not really going to get you anywhere. It's going to take you forever, isn't it, to weight restore if you're mm. just like adding little bits in here and there. Absolutely. And I love that because funnily enough, I use that sort of metaphor as well in my practice. And I said to people, you know, at the beginning, we're just going to dip our toes and then we need to dip them again. And, you know, but at some point we do need to go forward because, you know, I think, you know, that I quite like to go swimming in the sea. But if you've ever tried to go swimming in the sea when it's cold, and I see, I'm saying that sort of literally when I see people doing that and also metaphorically, you know, imagine you're at the beach and it's, you know, it's March and you're trying to go in the sea in your swimming costume. It's going to be cold. I can guarantee you that because I do it. It's yeah. going to be cold. And of course, you don't sort of throw yourself in because actually it can be quite dangerous. But you need to not, again, faff around too long. And I remember seeing this guy once doing it and he was being brave going in, but it took him ages to go in the water and part of me wanted to shout at him and say just go in go in because the longer you stay there halfway in the more your brain is going to tell you to get out and the colder you are you just need to get in start swimming and then it's going to feel amazing and that's kind of like that in recovery you dip your toe but if you just stay at the shore with just your toe in you're just thinking my goodness this is freaking cold i'm not going in it's actually, you just need to go forward and you need to start swimming. And then you just go, oh my God, recovery is amazing because I can eat stuff and not really care. Yeah, no, that's a great way to explain it. I know I remember in my own recovery, actually, just when I was just eating enough, just the relief in a way of not being hungry all the time and the relief of having mm. more energy and being able to concentrate. It was just truly quite wonderful. I don't know if you experienced the same. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because with me, I think I got to the stage in my illness when actually I didn't really get that hungry. And I didn't really understand the fuss. And people were like, oh, oh my God, I'm starving. I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I'm not that hungry. And obviously my body was quite used to not eating. But now it's quite unpleasant for me not to eat. You know, if sometimes you know, I'm really busy and I haven't had time to or have my lunch a bit later, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm hungry. And all my brain keeps going, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. And I just... I couldn't do it anymore. It's almost like my body just won't let me do that, which is really quite nice, really. But yeah, I find it so uncomfortable. And it's so nice after when I've eaten and I just go, oh, it's so nice. It's so nice to eat. It's just so much better. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, one thing I'd be interested to hear as well, when some people do recovery, we see more and more kind of posts and YouTube videos about going all in which mm. you could argue is going more, you know, with your body completely. I mean, I think, again, pros and cons of this, I don't think it's quite as straightforward as, you know, that you're completely just 
listening to your body 100% because I think it's so hard when you have been starved or in a disordered relationship with food. But I just wonder, like, what are your thoughts about going all in? You know, what do you think about it? Do you recommend it or do you kind of discourage people from doing it? Or, you know, yeah, does it interested to hear what you have to say? I think the principle is good. It could be really dangerous for someone who, let's say, eats very, very little. And I'm not going to give like a caracan, but very little. And then going all in and having, you know, like 4,000 calories. And technically that could be dangerous. You know, we've all heard about refeeding syndrome and it could be lethal. But my view is that in the community, it's quite rare. I've never had someone coming to me going, yes, I'm going to go all in and start eating like an entire jar of peanut butter. You know, it's a lot more toe dipping with my clients than going all in. So the danger of all in, it's not a myth, it's there, but it's not as common as people think. The good thing about all in is that there is actually also danger in toe dipping too long, because I think it's almost like you become sort of attuned to the situation and therefore it doesn't seem so bad anymore and anything more therefore feels really threatening and you have this danger of your illness becoming quite chronic I think so all in would prevent that from happening I think all in works more for people who are maybe a bit older and maybe who have been dealing with the illness for a bit longer I think that's when your body just goes your brain goes you know what I've had it I'm not doing this anymore I am going to commit to this and I'm going to go all in as I said I see a lot of teenagers and I don't think my teenagers would be ready to go all in because often there is a certain degree of ambivalence with them you know more often than not it's the parents that send them to me doesn't mean that the child or the adolescent doesn't want to speak to me but you know, they are a bit worried that I'm going to take away their eating disorder. So the idea of them going all in, I think, is unrealistic. But I think it's not a bad idea because you don't want to hang around for too long, you know, too dipping your way into recovery. But I think you need to be ready. I mean, I know with my own own recovery, it wasn't sort of all in, but I think I had done enough toe dipping and I think I got fed up and I just thought, you know what? I'm quite stubborn and I thought, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of counting calories. I'm sick of being cold. I am going to eat more. And it's not like I started eating pizzas at breakfast and eating and eating and eating, but I made a conscious effort to eat more. And then I was thinking, well, okay, that didn't go so badly. So I can do this again. And I would do this again and I would do it again. And then gradually it just, it just happened. But I made the conscious decision that I wanted to get better. And I made a decision to eat the cake, to eat the noodles or whatever. But someone telling me to do it, I think, would not have worked. Mm. You have to be ready, don't you? And I think the ambivalence about change is absolutely normal. And I think, you know, I work mainly with adults, sort of mainly 18 plus, and Mm. it's almost very unusual if someone presents without the ambivalence you're almost I mean I don't know if this is true with your younger clients but definitely with my work working with adults the motivational work or working on that ambivalence to start with is almost like a standard part of the treatment really like I would be quite surprised almost if someone came through the door and said right I'm ready to start today yeah yeah absolutely I mean the ambivalence is always there and we say to people it's a bit like 
you know, when you have a child, he is starting reception. So, you know, first year at school, often they have like a teddy or little, or little taggy thing in this little piece of fabric with little things that they twiddle. And, you know, at preschool, it's quite acceptable to have your teddy. And then at big school, you don't do that anymore. But it can feel really kind of scary to give away your teddy. You know, you give it away to the teacher, but you don't know what the teacher is going to do with your teddy. And, and then you feel really safe with your teddy. So there's a bit of ambivalence by giving the teddy away. And I think it's good to explain to the children that actually we're not going to do anything bad to the teddy. The teddy will be back, you know, at the end of the school day and then you can have it again. And it's a little bit the same with the eating disorder in a way I kind of say, you know, I don't present myself as this person who's going to take away their eating disorder, their comfort blanket. I'm not taking it away. I'm trying to understand why they need it, first of all. And then the idea is that they are going to learn other ways of comforting themselves. That means that they won't need their teddy or their eating disorder. And it's a little bit the same with the kids at school. You know, the teddy is there. And then they learn that at school is quite fun, you know, especially at reception, you kind of play and then you draw and then you make new friends and you play Lego. And, and little by little, the teddy isn't needed anymore. And I'm quite upset when, you know, my youngest is nine and he doesn't need his teddy to go to sleep with. And I'm like, you sure you don't need it? I put it in your bag. I put it in your bag. <laughs> That's all about me. But, you know, he doesn't need it anymore. It's mm. there. He knows it's there. And if he really was upset, he would go back to it. But really, he's learned. He's outgrown. He's Teddy because he's nine now and he's not a preschooler. And that's kind of the job of, I think, our job. And I think if we kind of present ourselves as the person who's going to take it away and make it all better, I think it could go wrong and the ambivalence can grow. So I'm there to say, look, you know, great job. You've got this eating disorder. I think it's in a way brilliant because you found a way of coping with what's not going well in your life. Let's see what we can do with this and how we can replace it. I mean, I don't say it like that, but essentially that's what I'm doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. So, Anne, just coming back to like to, towards the end of the podcast about back to the mindful eating, intuitive eating. Yes. At what stage perhaps can people start to embrace those different ways of eating in their recovery? You know, how far down the road do they need to be? Yeah, it's difficult to And I think maybe what I would like to say before that is that technically you could be mindful at the very beginning of your recovery, but I don't actually recommend it because, and I guess that's what I was saying in my post, if you're mindful when you are feeling really full or when you're at the beginning of your recovery, it could make things really worse because you're essentially having to think about the thing that you are the most scared of. And I guess what I would sort of advocate is that people are quite mindless in their eating at the beginning of recovery. So they can't be intuitive and they can't be mindful either. And it's only towards the end that they can start doing both. And I think when they start becoming hungry, that's when I will be a bit more flexible. And that's when the plan becomes much more fluid. And I go, you know what, you know, I don't really care to an extent what you're eating, about what you're eating. I guess, you know, with my clients, because they tend to be underweight, we also do look at the weight. So when they start to become more weight restored, that's when the plan becomes more fluid. And that's when I go, you know, at this stage now, because you're safe in terms of your weight, let's see how you go. We're dropping a stack. Or maybe we can increase exercise or we can start exercise. And let's see what happens to your weight. And I caveat it, obviously, and I say, you know, if 
by next week you come back and you've lost weight, we're going to have to rethink this because it might mean that your body isn't ready. But if nothing happens, then we can, you know, basically come out of the sea really gradually. So when we dipped our toes and we went swimming and imagine you're kind of coming out, you don't just jump out. I mean, not that you can do that, but don't jump out of the sea. You just gradually come out and dry yourself. And so it's a gradual process and we see how the body responds and everyone is different. So that's for the intuitive bit. And when it comes to the, the mindful eating, I think people have to be more recovered in order to become mindful because at the beginning you know you don't really like the food and so the idea of being mindful and sort of paying attention to the taste is horrific because you think everything is gross and the textures are all wrong and you don't want to feel full absolutely you don't want to feel full you need to be a bit more recovered and I often also explain to people that it's also okay to be mindless you know it's all right to be mindless. I know people say, you know, you need to be mindful when you're eating. I think it's okay to be mindless, even when you are recovered. You know, I think we all do it and it's okay. And I think it's a little bit like driving, if you allow me the metaphor. I think we've all driven somewhere once and thought, I have no idea how I got there. Mm. You know, clearly I got there. I left the house and I got to where I wanted to be. But I can't remember anything about the journey. And I think that's what we mean by, well, that's kind of being on autopilot, isn't it? We didn't have an accident. We didn't get lost. It's all fine. But generally speaking, it's kind of safer to be a bit more attentive when you're driving. And mindless eating is a little bit like that. You eat without really paying attention to what you're eating. And it's not really a problem if it doesn't happen too often. But like being on autopilot when you're driving, it could be problematic if it happens too often. If you drive on autopilot too often... Clearly, you're much more at risk of making mistakes in your driving and it could be really you know, dangerous. With mindless eating, it's more likely to lead to overeating if you're on autopilot because you, know, you, you reach for the food, you put it in your mouth, you carry on until it's done. And this, for me, the problem is more that it may lead to feelings of inadequacy, wrongly or not, or of eating too much. And it can tip people into the all or nothing type of thinking I shouldn't have done that. The day's ruined. I may as well carry on or get rid of the food. Tomorrow I'll be good. I will never eat biscuits again or popcorn or whatever. And obviously that's not going to happen because people do eat biscuits again after because that's quite normal. And so the pattern is likely to repeat itself. So that's sort of the danger of mindless eating. But I think if you have a conversation with people about the fact that it's actually okay to be mindless sometimes, you know, when you go to the cinema and have popcorn, you are mindless and it's fine. So I think it's more working on the feeling of inadequacy rather than mindless eating or mindful eating. It's fine to be mindless sometimes. Yeah, and no, I'm completely with you. And I think some people get into mindful eating as well and they kind of almost replace their dieting with trying to do like perfect mindful eating and then it almost becomes a new diet but it's not a diet it's mindful eating but that very black and white thinking around it which then yeah causes them to beat themselves up like kind of what you're saying as well that's that kind of all or nothing thinking so yeah Yeah. it's, it's a great thing isn't it to be mindful quite a lot of the time with your eating but the reality is sometimes we're mindless without eating and actually that's okay yeah it's not a perfect thing is it to master no, no. And also, you know, some people say mindful eating and, and what they mean is that you have to chew your food like 50 times. I mean, that's not mindful. That is weird. You know, <laughs> no one does that, you know, 
And I think, you know, even when you're eating with your family, no one is totally mindful. I think mindful eating also means, you know, just yeah, you pay attention to, to the taste and stuff, but you're not sort of completely sort of dissecting the food, you know, at every bite because that would take too long and that would be a bit weird. But it's paying attention going, you know, this is really nice. I love the fact that it's really crumbly and quite buttery. And, you know, I love the chocolate. You know, that's kind of what yeah. we mean really about mindful eating. In recovery, it can be really helpful to be mindless because in a way you're so scared of the food, you don't want to think about the chocolate and the fact that it's buttery because you're scared of that. You just, in a way, you want to eat it quite quickly so that you don't have to think about it. And, and also if you take too long to eat, because that's also the thing about mindful eating, you eat slowly without distraction, then you're going to feel fuller, kind of, or you're going to feel full or even more full halfway through your meal. And I think, you know, in a way for me, the game is, and the reason for that, let me just maybe explain that is you have lots of hormones that are at play to sort of tell you when to stop eating when, you know, when you're eating kind of normally. And I think for me, the game when it comes to recovery is to eat, finish your meal, before those hormones have had time to um, it's going to be easier for you to finish your meal without you feeling really full and then the thoughts of oh my god I've eaten too much I feel fat because if when you feel full you are probably going to feel like you are fat and if you're going to finish your meal you're going to feel that feeling regardless so you may as well feel that feeling when you finish the meal rather than feeling that feeling when you're halfway through, because then you're going to think, well, I can't finish my meal. You know, if you're going to feel that feeling, which is going to be uncomfortable, you may as well also reap the benefits of having eaten your meal and going forward in your recovery. Yeah, and no, I think a great tip there, Anne. Thanks for sharing that. So Anne, where can people find you if they want to find out more about the work you do and yeah, to explore more about your sort of way of working? Well, first of all, so I'm in England, I'm in Southwest, I'm in Devon, but I see people from, you know, all over because like everyone else, I work online. That's my physical position. And where to find me? I mostly live on Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram at Crunch Nutrition. I also have a website, which is crunchnutrition.co.uk. I'm not really on Facebook, a little bit, but it's mostly Instagram. I try to post as often as I can, but it's not every day because I need to live as well. And I'm trying to get better at that, at actually not posting every day, trying to practice what I preach and also sort of rest because I think that's really important. But yeah, Instagram and my website and yeah. Okay, lovely. Well, I'll make sure and that your details are in the show notes. and I'll also link to the other episodes when you've been on this podcast before, which I know people want to check those out. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I just want to say really thank nice speaking you. to you again. Yeah, so lovely. Yeah. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast again today, Anne. I really appreciate it. And I know this is just going to be such a valuable topic because it's something that people are always asking me questions about. And it's really just been so helpful to hear, you know, just to sort of talk people through really kind of what to expect, I guess, when they're going through that process of weight restoration. And to really give some guidance about sort of the limits, maybe of mindful eating and intuitive eating, at least in those early stages, but, you know, to kind of give people alternatives and how to deal with that and, you know, explore when 
intuitive eating or mindful eating, you know, when might be the time to introduce those in recovery. So thank you so much for all that great wisdom on all of those topics. It was my pleasure. You're welcome. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation just as much as I did. And do go and check out all of Anne's info in the show notes. So if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the Eating Disorder Therapist. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eatingdisordertherapist.co.uk. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be so grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.